You've heard so much about revival and pressing into revival and seeing revival. Along with revival comes a time of testing for my church. Where you see, you're going to face a lot of things you had not thought you would face. You're going to face circumstances that are going to be very challenging for you. And it's not that I am sending these things into your life because it's not just you. It is the society in which you live. But this will be a test for you in that will you rise above all the turmoil and stay focused on me? This is absolutely critical. Too many of my children have been severely distracted by the events that have taken place over the last six months and even over the last several years. It's drawn them away from true intimacy with me. But I say to you, cast down the imaginations concerning what you are observing take place and stay focused on me. Hear me now. Revival is far more critical than who gets elected to any office. You must stay focused on me. I'll see you through everything, but you must stay focused on me. Politicians have never been God. I am God and I share my glory with none other. So stay focused on me and you will see me move in your life and in your society. Revival is at the door, says the Lord. I had mentioned before that again in this month we're going to be fasting. And the fasting is between you and God, how you do it. Just do it some way, somehow. Doesn't mean that you have to fast every day. It doesn't, I mean, again, this is between you and God, but at least put forth the effort. However, if you remember, a few months ago, I shared that this entire year was going to be a fasting year. Well, that was before all this election stuff happened and the country has been thrown into a type of turmoil that it has never before existed. So I don't think it's an accident that God was mentioning to us we need to be fasting throughout this year. If for no other reason than to maintain stability in our own lives. You know, it's hard for God to use people that are struggling with instability in their life. So we want to be on this path. We want to we, we want to be there in a way that He can use us. Would you please turn to Colossians chapter one? Colossians chapter one. As we are making progress into this next year, 
I don't remember anybody, and again, I'm limited in as far as I don't hear every preacher. I don't hear every person who claims to be a prophet or who truly is a prophet. But I don't, I did not hear anybody prophesy all of this just incredible confusion, disarray, upheaval, and so forth within our government. I know a lot of people prophesied, well, things could be bad and this could happen and that could happen, but I didn't hear anybody prophesy this, everything that we're seeing happen. And yet here it is. So, for us, this is a very difficult time. Because we're, we're bombarded by stuff we've never had hit us before. And honestly, I am at a place now, and I, I cannot go off on a tangent and express this fully. But I now see how the media has manipulated our minds and our thinking for decades. Now, it's always happened, and we've always talked about it, but I'm seeing it at a level now that I had never seen it before. It's been going on. And every one of us has been impacted to a certain degree. To this day, to this day, there are people, uh, Christians now, who say things or send me things, whatever, that reveal your focus too much on all this stuff. And it, look, this the, the enemies, you, somebody could say, well, this is the work of the devil. Okay, you know what, we're not going to debate that, but what, what is for sure a work of the devil is him using these circumstances to distract us away from what we're supposed to be doing. Whether he caused it all or, or not, the bottom line is he's using it. And he keeps trying to draw people's attention to all of the stuff. And, and, you know, one of the things that's happened is you've had all these Christians come out and they say things, I prophesy this, I, I say this is going to happen, and uh, I'm not being critical of a lot of folks, but you hear all of these things being said, and some of it, guys, it's just given us false hope. Because a lot of the things that we were told were going to happen, and that made perfect sense, well, it didn't happen. Now, how many times can you have the slats knocked from under your feet before you don't feel like getting up anymore? We have to remember what we're about. And what we're about is serving God no matter what. In Colossians chapter 1, look here in verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet, or He has qualified us, to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness 
and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So here we see verse 12 starts right out, giving thanks unto the Father. (laughs) This is written during Roman rule. Now, if they could be at a place of giving thanks unto the Father because of their salvation, should we not be at the same place? Instead of getting all fired up about what politicians said this and did that, shouldn't we be at this place of giving thanks? Absolutely. But again, there's a lot of distraction. And he says, giving thanks unto the Father because God, our Father, and it's important that he used the term Father and not God. God is our Father, but he didn't use God here, he used Father. Why? Because he's emphasizing this family relationship that we have with him. He could have said God, but even the Gentiles could have been told about God. Here he says, he's your father. Giving thanks to your father. Because he has qualified you to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. One way to look at this is, Our Father has made available to us something very special and spectacular. And it has to do with being born again. He calls it here an inheritance. And he says that we've been qualified to be partakers of this inheritance. Well, we've been recipients of it. In other words, we have access to it. But he says you can be a partaker of it. You can you can appropriate it into your life. And then he says, partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. That means all believers. Now one of the things that a lot of Christians seem to struggle with is thinking that some Christians are more highly favored by God than others. And that's why some of them are more blessed than I'm blessed, and so on and so forth. He's establishing here a level of equality for all believers the inheritance that has been appropriated unto the saints in light. That's us. He says, giving thanks. Giving thanks unto the Father. He has qualified us to be partakers of this inheritance. We're not going to get into all the aspects of the inheritance, but one thing. Do not look at this the way a lot of preachers seem to have implied that it means money. You have a heavenly inheritance. You know, by faith and give your offerings, you can draw on that inheritance. No, no, please don't even think of it like that. It's far beyond that. But it says here in verse 13 that he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Okay, what's the power of darkness? Well, it's not the devil. The power of darkness is your sin nature. You've been delivered from the power of the sin nature. Because, see, technically, even the people in the Old Testament were delivered from the power of the devil. Because God would go before them. They would call on God. He would help them. Satan just, he didn't run unchecked throughout the nation of Israel and just do whatever he wanted to. So there was a type of freedom from the power of Satan even in the Old Testament. 
But here we've been delivered from the power of darkness. And that's talking about our uh, the, the spiritual death, sin nature. We've been delivered from that power. Which means that we don't have to yield to anything related to sin ever again. We've been delivered from the power of darkness. We've been translated into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now, since I've been translated into the kingdom of His dear Son, that means sin has no control over me. That means that as a Christian, now this is this is really critical here. It means as a Christian, I can never justify saying, well, I couldn't help it. Well, it was just too much for me to bear. Well, I just couldn't take anymore. No. If you've been delivered from the power of darkness, and you've been translated into the kingdom of His dear Son, that means you've been made more than a conqueror. That means the victory has been given unto you, given unto me, and we cannot make excuses for wrong choices. Well, he continues and he says, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And if you look in verse 21, he says, in you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. So at one time we were an enemy. Now, well, we've been reconciled. In other words, we're now at that place of being in the kingdom with God in fellowship with him as our father. He said, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. This is very critical. He says, you've been reconciled. Well, this is kind of a reference back over to what we read a few moments ago, uh, verses 12, 13, and 14. He says, you've been reconciled. Well, what was the, uh, the method by which this reconciliation took place? Well, in the body of his flesh, the body of the flesh of Jesus, his crucifixion. So that he, Jesus, could present us holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. In whose sight? Well, obviously in Jesus' sight, but in God the Father's sight. He wants to present us in this this perfected state, if you will. But there is a condition. Verse 23. If you continue in the faith. What faith? Well, number one, my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. But when He says... Grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard. Grounded and settled. Sink roots. Grounded and settled. Grounded, think of it, cemented in and settled. Firmly established. He's telling you right here that Jesus is going to be able to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable before God if you continue in the faith. Now, the faith, again, it's not, it's about, yeah, faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but it is also what we have recorded here in Scripture. 
For example, where God says over there in Peter, as He, God is holy, be ye holy. Because God said, I am holy, be ye holy. Okay, my faith in that means I will live a holy life. And he says, faith grounded and settled and not moved away from the hope. Alright, what does that mean? (laughs) Not moved away from the truth that's been established in Scripture. Not moved away from what God has, has placed here in His Word as far as how we're supposed to live. This, um, I, over, over time, I've seen it more and more clearly. How that our potential as a Christian is not simply a matter of, uh, well, you know, we can lay hands on the sick and they'll get healed. Signs, wonders, miracles, and what have you. Our potential as a Christian is that we can live according to the exact pattern of Jesus Christ. In other words, no sin ever. Not even in our thoughts. Because the Apostle Paul talked about, I didn't even know that um, you know, coveting, lust was a sin, except the law revealed to me, hey, there are some things you can't even think about. Or you're going to be wrong before God. Even Jesus said, you've heard it said that you know you can't even commit adultery. Uh, but I say if you just look on somebody and start lusting, you're guilty. Now, my potential as a Christian is that I can live, and, and I know that some folks would want to fuss about this, but my potential as a Christian is that I can live a perfect, holy life. And this thing where people say, they, well, there's nobody perfect. I'm not perfect. What do you mean by that? Because, now listen to me, in the eyes of God, I am perfect. In the eyes of God, you are perfect. Well, Brother Martin, I disagree. Well, now wait a second. Are you telling me that your born-again spirit has imperfections? The part of you that's going to live forever, are you telling me that God gave you something Incomplete? Are you saying that there are flaws in your born-again life? Well, the answer to all of that is no. God gave you the same spiritual life that He gave to Adam. Because that was His intention. The body is going to be glorified later on. But it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other places in Scripture, it talks about the glory that is in us, the glory residing in us. Okay, we're perfect on the inside. Now, that doesn't mean that I am living a perfect life on the outside, but I can live a perfect life. No, no, no. I can live a sinless life on the outside and still not be living living. A perfect life. You say, well, what in the world does that mean? Sounds like a contradiction. No. I can live a sinless life, but still not be at the place of being able to hear God as clearly as Jesus heard Him. Do you understand what I mean by that? I hope... Okay, Jesus, He never went anywhere that God wouldn't have been telling Him, go to this city, go to that village, go over here and do this. He said, 
I don't stand before you and say anything that God hasn't told me to say. My doctrine is not my own. It's the, His who sent me. So therefore, Jesus was at a place of not only being sinless in lifestyle, but also hearing the Father with such clarity that He knew what to do, when to do it, where to go, so on and so forth. So we can live a perfect, sinless life, but still not be at that place of hearing God as clearly as Jesus heard Him. But we, if we're pressing further into the Lord, then, yeah, through spiritual maturity, spiritual growth, we get to that place of hearing Him. That's our potential. So he says here, don't be moved away from the hope of the gospel. What this tells me here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, is that there's a potential that I could be moved away from the hope. There's a potential something could happen to cause me to drift away from that hope. Now, I want you to think about the fact that the Jews were raised to believe in God. Jehovah. You know, we belong on the prophets and all that. However, there are a lot of them, in spite of all the signs, wonders, and miracles they saw, wanted nothing to do with Jesus. And not only him, but <laughs> whether it was Paul, Peter, John, or any of the others, it didn't matter what kind of miracles they saw. They didn't want anything to do with those people. They wanted to stop them and keep them from preaching the name of Jesus, even though, absent of what those guys were doing, nobody else was doing this. So instead of sitting back and thinking, now wait a second, these guys preach Jesus, people get healed, delivered, devils get cast out. We believe in God too. We just don't believe in Jesus. None of that stuff happens with us. Hmm, maybe we should rethink all of our beliefs. So they believed in God. But, and some of them, won't get into this now, uh, Hebrews uh, bears it out. Some of them believed in God, but they were actually moved away from the hope and taken back, led back under the law. Now here in Colossians, look at chapter 2. And look at verse 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Walk ye in Him. In other words, He has to be the standard for how you live. Notice what comes next. Rooted and built up in him. Well, this is very similar to verse chapter 1 verse 23, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled. Here he says rooted and built up in him. In him. And established in the faith. Not just aware of it. You have a lot of Christians who are aware of what you're supposed to believe. They can tell you what you're supposed to believe, but they're not established in the faith. And he says, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. 
So you look back here in verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Meaning, your focus has to be on Him. Not on what everybody comes along and says. Your focus has to be on Him. Rooted and built up in Him. So think of it like this. The moment we get born again, we are rooted in Him. But you know you can uproot yourself. (laughs) But not only do we have to be rooted and maintain our roots in Him, but He says, built up and established. See, this this is describing a maturation process. Rooted in Him, built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught. Taught by who? The apostles. Paul, James, Matthew, John, Peter, you know, whoever it was these folks heard. As you have been taught. But along with that would have been the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. As you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Then he gives you this warning, beware lest any man spoil you. Beware lest any man spoil you. That word spoil, (laughs) it's the image of something gone bad. You know, uh, from what I've been told, you can buy a loaf of bread. And if you see one slice of that bread get moldy, you're supposed to throw out the whole loaf. Because the mold spores can be floating around in that bag and be landing and actually have settled on the other slices of bread. It just hasn't turned green yet. But it's there. Now, I know a lot of, a lot of folks, it's mold, up, ah, cut it out, you know, and eat. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> Thank God for grace. <laughs> but, <laughs> a little leaven does what? It leaveneth the whole lump. This is part of what he's talking about here. Beware lest any man spoil you. How? Through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole law of Moses aspect here. But as it pertains to us, it's whatever man stands up and teaches you that did not come from God. He says you can be spoiled. You can get spiritually moldy if you allow yourself to feast on that which spoils, which is philosophy, vain. See, from God's perspective, if it's not truth that genuinely comes from His Word, then it's basically a philosophy. It is a vain deceit. It is a tradition. But it's not of God. And he says, For in Him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you're complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. In Him dwelleth all the fullness. In other words, that's why he says, as you've received, verse 6, Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him. Why? Because in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. So if I want to press into the fullness of who God is to me, in me, then what I've got to do is stay focused on Him and what's established in His Word and not allow myself to get drawn away by, by a bunch of other stuff. Which would include stuff of the world. Which would include... You know, the the political climate of this nation right now. It's it's up to us to maintain our focus. And he says, look, you're in verse ten he says, You are completed him. 
Meaning, everything that I need is already there for me. As far as this life is concerned, and my my living for Him, my service for Him, His ability to use me, I'm complete in Him. I'm complete. My completeness is in Him. But if I am looking elsewhere for completeness, or if I get distracted, then I will be incomplete. You understand what I mean? In other words, I have to continue to remain rooted, continue being built up, so that I become firmly established in the faith, not moved away from the hope. You have a lot of Christians who are moved away from the hope, and they don't even know it. They think everything is okay. But as you know, if you're in a church and somebody stands up and says, well, you know, love is love. And, uh, you know, Brother Smith and his wife will be conducting this service. And then, you know, Brother Jones and his husband will be doing such and such. And, you know, if you're, if you're in a church and you hear that, it's like, hold on. Hold on. Brother Smith and his wife, okay. You know, Brother Jones and his husband, uh, we need to rethink some things here. And see, you've got people out there, you have people leaving more stable churches to go into churches like that because those churches are more accommodating to people, to love. No, (laughs) that's not what's in the Word. And people are being moved away and they are corrupting their completeness, if you will. And if you look in chapter 3, he says, If ye then be risen with Christ... Okay, that's us. See that? That's us. We're born again. We're risen with Christ. You read more about that in Romans chapter 6. We're risen with Christ. He says, if that's you, then here's what you need to do. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, this um, this word seek in verse 1, it's the Greek word ziteo, and it's talking about a diligent focus and pursuit toward a specific goal. Seek those things which are above. Okay, what are the things that are above? The things of the kingdom. He says, rooted in, we read in chapter 2, rooted, built up in Him, established in the faith. You're complete in Him. In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. And here he says, and if you be Christ, seek those things which are above. What, what are those things which are above? My inheritance. Everything that God has, has said is available to me as a believer, as a Christian. Seek those things which are above. We can't do that without effort. Let me put it like this. You can read the newspaper or you can get on your phone and read all the liberal news feeds about all the this and all the that. 
And all you're doing is feeding your spirit with mold. All you're doing is feeding your spirit with that which cannot edify you deeper into God. Now, I'm not saying that it's a sin to read the newspaper or read news, fe- news feeds. But you ought to be selective about what you read. A lot of these, the headline itself will tell you, I shouldn't be reading this. The first couple of sentences should tell you, I shouldn't be reading this. And I'm at the point now for me, I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, I see the headline, I'm not reading that, I'm not reading this article, I'm not reading this. It doesn't take long to get through the paper. (laughs) Read the funnies, read the sports, get on with it, (laughs) move on. Same thing with the news feed. And I'm going to different news sources than what I used to because I see the lies, I see the deception, I see the distraction more than ever. And it just, in a, in a figure of speech, I just want to pull my hair out when I hear Christians talking about all this other stuff and posting all this other stuff. It's like, guys, if you're risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Now look, even Jesus himself was aware of what was going on in the Roman Empire. He knew who the Caesar was. He knew the rules. And if the, if Roman law says you have to pay such and such tax unto Caesar, guess what? Jesus paid it. How do you know that? They tested him. Remember that? Jesus, is it right to pay taxes unto Caesar or not? He said, show me a coin. Well, whose picture? Caesar's. Well, then give to Caesar what's his and God what's his. Jesus paid his taxes. If he hadn't, He could have been arrested by the Romans. He could have been executed. Jesus was aware of what was happening in the world, but he, well, let me say it like this. He sought those things of the Father. That was what he pursued. That's why there were the the times it talks about, and he arose early and went off to a, you know, a, a desert place and prayed. You know, a, He got away, did this and so forth, and spent all night in prayer and what have you. And I'm not trying to create a legalistic system of religion saying you have to spend all night in prayer. No, I'm not saying that. But if he if he sensed, if you will, that he needed to spend all night in prayer, he spent all night in prayer. You say, well, didn't he ever get tired? Well, sure he did. Read read the scriptures. And, you know, wearied from his journey, asleep in the back end of the boat. I mean, yeah, he got tired and he got hungry. But he sought those things which are above. And then he, he tell, we're told, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Do you realize, here's something that um, the Lord, the Holy Spirit kind of ministered to me here not too long ago. He was saying, and I don't remember the exact words, I wrote it down, but the New Testament is a revelation of what Jesus did to live the way he lived. In other words, where it says, uh, well, like this, seek those things which are above. Okay, that's what Jesus did. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. That's what he did. That's That's how he lived so successfully here on earth. And you go on, just what you see in here, this is an instruction manual on how to live as Christ. And so he tells us here, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. 
Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now he's talking uh, metaphorically how that from God's perspective, you're supposed to see yourself as being dead to the world, but alive unto Christ. Well, there's a verse in Scripture that says that. <laughs> We're dead to the world, but alive unto Christ. That has to be, it's, it's got to be our perspective. I'm not there yet. But I'm closer than what I used to be. Here's what I mean. This is something that, um, I don't want to say, no, I don't want to use the word scary. Challenging. Yes, that's the word. Challenging. Extremely challenging. How that I cannot see the apostles giving, if they live today, all right, I cannot see them giving so much time over to sports as what we see in this world, in this country today. I can't see it. I can't see it. At all. I can't see the Apostle Paul getting caught up in, um, what's it called, fantasy football or fantasy baseball, whatever, like these, these online kind of things that people do. I can't, I can't see that. I'm sorry. I can't. I cannot see them getting caught up in watching as much television as what people watch. Now I could go on and on with this. What I see in Scripture, is the challenge of these two verses right here. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Seek those things which are above and set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. That phrase, set your affection, it's, it comes from the Greek word phroneo. And um, it's kind of a, a very broad word. Means, But anyway, here it's talking about that you have to, with your mind... You must make a decision, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to allow myself to be distracted by anything else, anything of this world. I choose to set my affection on things above. These two verses right here are so critical for us as believers, and we haven't captured how powerful they are. Now, if you really want to experience... Um, change in your life. No, I, I'm in this too. If we really want to experience change in our lives to become what Christ knows that we can become, then we need to start making a confession over ourselves. I seek those things which are above. That is what I... I seek those things which are above... And I set my affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Another way to say that would be, you know, Father, I yield over to you the part of me that seeks for things. And I'm asking you to move in me to help me readjust my seek feature so that I seek those things which are above. And not only that, God, but this whole thing about setting my affections on things above, I know you won't do these things for me. 
However, I yield to you that which is in me that sets affections on anything. And I want you to work in me to help me get my affections set on things above. Now you start confessing, talking, praying that way. I'm just going to give you a heads up. You're going to enter a field of battle where you've never been. I mean it. If you've never done this before, you're going to enter into a field of battle you've never been. And the battle is not going to be with the devil. It is going to be with your flesh. It's going to be with your emotions. You can say, yeah, but I, I'm, not, I'm not in sin. I'm not saying you are. What I'm saying is, if there's anything at all in us that is seeking other things more than it should and not seeking those things which are above the way it should, there's going to be a battle right there. And it's going to be intense. The same thing with set your affection on things above. If my affection is set too much on things below here on earth, you say, well, okay, what do you mean by like affection on things on the earth? I mean, I, I, I can give you some examples. A lot of people may not like it. Set your affection on things above, not on things. That would include your family. You say, you mean I'm not supposed to love my family? Don't twist my words now. Some families, they take the children and they put them on this pedestal. And you probably heard parents say, Christian parents say things like maybe, you know, I, I just live for my children. My children are the most important thing in my life. My family is number one. Whatever I do, I do for the success of my children. Okay, you know what? You've got your priorities way out of order. And that's wrong. I know this is going to sound excessively cruel and cold. And all I say is meditate on it. But you have to be willing to let go and allow the children to make whatever choices they want. Because aren't you presently living based on the choices you made to get where you are? Yeah, you are. And I don't know, it's kind of weird sometimes the way a lot of parents, they, they absolutely forget the way it was when they were young. They, they, it's like they get weird. They get this kind of amnesia thing. You don't remember how it was when you, what, how you felt, what you wanted and so forth. Do you guys not remember the time in your life where you just wanted your parents to back off and let you think for yourself? Yeah. Now some of you, you may not have encountered that as much. But you've got a lot of parents, you know, kids that are in sports. The parents live vicariously through their child's sports success. Foolish. And see, this is where priorities are totally skewed. There are some people, their, their affection is on their pets. Well, how do you know that? You ever seen these people take their dog everywhere they go? That's weird. Somebody was in a bank here not too long. Well, it's been a while. And the person in the bank, like the customer... They had a monkey with them. <laughs> yeah. A monkey. Now, I... <laughs> yeah, we'd like to deposit some bananas, please. <laughs> now, I understand. I understand that, you know, if you've got a pet, you know, 
to walk and so on. I get that. But some people, Kathy and I, when we were on vacation up in Wisconsin, we went into this restaurant. Everything was okay. But then this, this family comes in. It's like, I don't know, four or five of them come in. And they brought their dog with them. And they let the dog sit up in the, in the seat with them. Yeah, that's weird. That's weird. And I have to tell you, I'm wondering, was there a dog in my seat before I got here? Because I don't know that I want to sit where a dog just sat. I don't need to say much more, do I? There, are, Okay, those are just a few examples. Don't want to go too much off. But here, see, this is where our affections can be partially misplaced and we don't even realize it. Yet if we go to God and we start saying things like, okay, I want Colossians 3, 1 and 2 to be me. I want Colossians 3, 1 and 2 to be me. I want this to be my lifestyle because this is the way it was for Jesus. Do you realize Jesus, He had brothers and sisters. His brothers are identified by name. He had at least two sisters because the word sisters is plural in Scripture. We don't know their names. Now, do you realize he was the oldest son? Now, you know how it is with Big Brother. You know, everybody, all the siblings kind of look up to Big Brother. And they're in the carpentry business. Well, the day comes when Jesus leaves. He just leaves. Well, I, I have to be about my father's business. Yeah, okay. Do you remember when Jesus... Over there in Luke, he was 12 years old. Remember that? And the family went to Jerusalem, remember, for the feast? And Jesus was there. And uh, the family, they leave. And then they realize, wait a minute, Jesus is not with us? And they start asking, you know, the aunts and uncles and whatever. Well, no, he's not with us either. Saying, oh, man, you know, we left Jesus behind. (laughs) This is not going to look good when we stand before God. So they turn around and they go back. (laughs) Now, you know, if you're Mary and Joseph... You're you're going to be sweating, thinking, "Oh boy, we done lost the Messiah." Now what are we going to do? How are we going to answer to God over this one? Sure, you know you'd be worried about that. They get in there and then and they look everywhere. They look everywhere and they finally find they they find him in the last place they looked. You ever hear people my keys? I can't find my keys. Well, they're always the last place I look. Yeah, well you know what? That'd be pretty weird if you keep looking after you find them. So they're always the last place you look. But they find Jesus and, and, you know, Mary's talking to him. Son, did you know we were worried and we were looking for you? And he says, don't you know that I need to be about my father's business? Okay, he's 12 years old. At that point, I do not know how many other of, of his siblings were born. It's really possible that two or three of them were already born. If he's 12... He might have had a younger brother who's nine years old. One that's maybe seven. I don't know. The point I'm making is this. You, there's no way you could have been raised in that home and not known there's something different about Big Brother. So when Jesus leaves and he, he ventures out into ministry, where's my Big Brother going? And if you continue to read the Scriptures, you'll see that some of them, 
they kind of thought he was a little touched in the head. You know what I'm saying? They didn't, they didn't buy into he's the Messiah. Their mother could have sat down with the whole bunch and told them the story. The angel appeared to your dad, you know, Joseph appeared unto me, and here's what was said, and here's what they said about Jesus and so forth. And she could have told him all of that. And if she did, they still didn't all buy into it. Till later on some did. The point I'm getting at is this. Jesus came to a place in his life, age 11 maybe, 10, I don't know, but by age 12, I have to be about my father's business. At age 12, we already see Colossians 3, 1 and 2 at work in his life. And he had to come to the place of walking away from every form of security in this earth that he knew to go out and do what his father wanted him to do. Now here's what I'm getting at. If we truly pursue Colossians 3, 1, and 2 to be this, there could easily, easily come a point to where God could say, now, and now before I start saying these things, please don't anybody leave here and say, well, he, he was talking about me. That's right. He's trying to make me feel bad. No, no, don't, please don't. I'm just throwing things out here. It could get to the point where God could say, you know what? Do you really want verses 1 and 2 to be your life? Yeah, God, yeah, yeah, yeah all right. Um, well, you know, you've, you've been doing that, been pressing in pretty well here for a period of time, and now I'm going to let you know what you need to do at this point. Your house is too big. You need to sell it. You need to downsize because you're giving too much attention to all the stuff that needs to be done in that house. Now, somebody might say, Pastor, are you telling me i got to move? No, Pastor ain't telling you you got to move because I might want to move in with you sometime. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is you don't know what's coming. When you start doing Colossians 3, 1, this is what I was talking about earlier, a battle. He may come to you and say, you know what? Get rid of your TVs. Get rid of them. And do not subscribe to an internet TV service. <laughs> God knows all the angles. <laughs> now, I'm not saying he'll do any of these things to any of us. What I'm saying is, if we're going to do Colossians 3, 1 and 2, we have to be prepared for what he might say. Now, this is all about being rooted and grounded in Him, being built up in Him, and being at a place to where He can use us the way He used Jesus. So, so please don't think that I'm telling you, you have to go out right now and make drastic changes. No. The only thing that we need to do now is focus on Colossians 3, 1 and 2, and take that approach. And see, God will begin working with us in that area to get us to grow slowly but surely. And as we move along, okay, I'll use myself as an example, okay? Now, I haven't word for word prayed these verses. And I've talked about this before, but it, it fits in here really well. 
here two years ago, I started praying, you know, God, um, and I'll just kind of paraphrase what I said. God, I, I take my affection for college football and I yield it. And I'm asking you to work in me that that, that desire to watch all that stuff is gone. And so, and I, I did that more than once. You know, I thank you and, and, and so on and so forth. Well, anyway, I, I noticed I started losing the interest. Now, see, I remember years ago uh, when, when the major bowl games were all on New Year's Day. And I went, I don't remember how I did this, but I had like four TV sets set up in the living room so all the different games would be on at the same time. It's like, all oh, this is like heaven, glory to God. And I'm, I, but now, no. And he's worked in me because I yielded this over. And he helped me get to the point to where the interest in all this has gone down. Do I still watch it? Yeah, I watch a little bit. But the other night, my team, the Ohio State University Buckeyes, they played in the national championship game. Well, I saw about maybe eight minutes of the second quarter, right up to halftime. That was it. I went to bed. Now, I figured they were probably going to lose the way the game was going. But I'm telling you, I, I just, it wasn't there. And I went to bed feeling good about that. And I truly believe it's possible it could get to the point to where I won't watch any of it. Only because I want to see the things of God take dominance in my life over everything else. And it doesn't happen overnight. It takes effort. That's why this, this word seek is used in verse 1. It is a word that's describing, yeah, you got to fight for it. You have to make that decision and, and stand your ground. Now, there's one other verse I want to show you. In um, chapter 3, it's verse 16. Just the very beginning of verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Well, what is the word of Christ? Well, it's the Bible. And if you really want to narrow it down, the New Testament. But let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, overabundantly, overflowingly, in all wisdom. Let it dwell. In other words, I don't have to do this. It's my choice. How do I let the Word of Christ dwell in me richly? I have to get into the Word. That's the only way. It can't dwell in me if I don't put it in me. So therefore, this is describing that part of that seeking process. Do I have to get in the Word, get in the Word, get in the Word, and keep getting into the Word? One of the things that I have done, and it doesn't happen you know, every single time I'm in the car, but like, like today... Or no, yesterday. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm driving around. And the, the book we're supposed to be reading this month is 1 Corinthians. Well, I have 1 Corinthians uh, recorded and I'm playing it in the car. So not only am I reading what we're supposed to read this month, but I'm also hearing it. Because I want it, I want this. 
And I don't know what the, the full end result is going to be as far as how it all manifests in my life, but I do know this. I will become more and more like Jesus. But notice again here, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now flip back to Acts chapter 20. And we'll close with this. Acts chapter 20. I'll give you a moment to get there because I really want you to see this. It ties in to what we've been reading over in Colossians. Acts chapter 20. Paul is uh, ministering to the leadership from the church at Ephesus. And he says, pick it up in verse 29, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. What, remember what he said in Colossians. Colossians, beware lest any man spoil you. Okay, here we see kind of a, a reference to that, if you will. And he says, verse 31, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So he's been telling them, this is coming. I'm warning you, this is coming. And then he says, verse 32, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, now look here, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. What did we see over there in Colossians? That we are, that God has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance. Then we see we are to be rooted, built up, established, grounded in Him and let the Word of Christ dwell richly within us. This is why, this is why it's such a challenge. It's because it is a, it is a lifestyle that is completely different from living in this world. Now, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not even talking about living in sin. Just living in this world the way we've been so accustomed to. Let's be honest. We're not accustomed to pressing into God. It takes effort. It takes work. And then we get frustrated because we don't do it the way that we should. Well, you know what? If it's something you're not used to, then it's something you have to work into. It's something that you have to make that decision and fight that fight of faith and get in there and let it happen. That's just like, you know, you join the health club. And oh, you're going to get yourself some muscles. So you go in there and you see this fellow. He's, he's bench pressing 450 pounds. You think, yeah, <laughs> I want those kind of muscles. And you ask the guy, can I have a turn? And he looks at you and you've got these like, these little pencils for arms. <laughs> He's like, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. So you lay down there and he's like, yeah, yeah, I can do this. You grab that bar and you can't, uh, you can't even get it off the rack. A little help. And so the guy, he kind of lifts it up for you so you can get started. And thankfully he doesn't let go because he knows that it's going to crush you. And half of you are going to go one way and half of you are going to go the other way. And so as you start losing control, he's there to help and he helps pull it back up. And then you get all upset and all frustrated. It's like, well, he can do it. Yeah, but he's been at this for eight years. He's been doing this for a while. He's ready for this. You're not. But if you put in the effort, guess what? Eventually, you might not get the 450 pounds, 
But you'll get up there, you'll get beyond the 50 pounds you can do right now. You'll become what you presently aren't if you stay at what is required to make the progress. And that's exactly what he's showing us here in his word tonight. We have to seek and we have to set. And then, if you flip back over real quickly to Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. I said we were going to close with Acts, but I need to show you this one more verse. I apologize. Colossians chapter 3. And he says, verse 3, For you're dead, your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Because I have stayed focused, I, I have not turned away from the hope of the gospel. So this is where I'm headed, verse 4. And then he says, verse 5, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Then he goes into this list, verse 5, 6, 7, and so forth, of things. You've got to stop it. Mortify it. Mortify it. And the reason I can mortify it is because I've been translated out of the power of darkness, delivered from the power of darkness, translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. I've got a seat set, seek, set, and mortify to have the kind of success that's described in here. This is not beyond our reach. It can be done. See, if it couldn't be done, these things would not be in Scripture. God knows we can do this, but it comes, the doing of it comes out of who we are in Christ. Don't get discouraged because you're not where you, you read this and you think, I'll, I'll, I'll just never be there. Yeah, yeah, you will. You will. Every single one of us. Give, extend some grace to yourself. And just be doing this. And make, you know, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, just start talking to God about this. Father, help me to, to seek the way I need to seek and to set my affections the way I need to set my affections. You know, I don't see everything in me that's not seeking and not setting the way that I should. So, you know what? I'm opening the door of my life to you for you to move in those areas to help me bring about this change. And guys, He will. He will work in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. And we begin to make that change. You can do it. Start. Um, most of you, you've already started. But you know, continue doing this. The change will come. And glory to God, we're going to be more and more like Jesus. And this, this is all a part of revival. Praise the Lord.